Crippled Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability, with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark, with Andrew Gerza, shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners. Thank you so much for clicking on Minnesota number 22. This is Minnesota number 22. And if you've been wondering where the Minnesotas have been for the last few weeks, I took a pause on those because we weren't getting any Minnesotas in the box. And if you're listening, if you're a new listener and you're listening to the show for the very first time and you're like, what the fuck's a Minnesota? A Minnesota is where you write in something related to disability, anything at all related to disability. And I read it back to you in, I read it back to you and we discuss it. And it's a, it's an email, like, it's like an Ask Andy type thing, but around disability. So uh, we finally got a few in the inbox that if you want to send any story about sexuality, disability, or anything related to disability, you want to hear me read it back to you in hilarious fashion and then speculate wildly, you can send an email to our Disability After Dark inbox, disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. So before we get to today's Minnesota, take a pause, think of something you want to share about disability, and send it in to me and I will turn it into a Minnesota. But let's get to today's Minnesota because there are some good, good questions here that I want to tackle from the listeners. I got a letter from KR, a listener of the show, who says, So, I was thinking about people who are in relationships with someone who becomes disabled during the relationship. How does the partner react? How do they learn to adapt? Do they secretly find a way out because they can't cope? How does the person who is newly disabled deal with their situation how do they talk about it with their partners or with their partner or new partners i've had a disability my whole life but it wasn't visible now that i have a visible disability i've noticed that people treat me different and their interest in me has drastically dropped i'm curious how others handle situations like this p.s i still think you're sexy as fuck That email had a lot of parts to it, and when I read it initially, I wasn't sure how I was going to respond. So, Corbin, thank you for your message, and I want to respond to each question point by point, so let's do that. The first question you ask is, how does the partner react? Corbin, in answering this one question, how does the partner react, I found a lot of articles that suggested a number of different reactions could happen. The partner could decide to leave the disabled partner. The partner could decide to, to work within this new reality for both people and to, um, to stay and to, be, to, to keep things as quote-unquote normal as possible. The partner could also, the, the non-disabled partner could also go through a period of depression and mourning as they try to cope with the reality of this new reality, but a lot of the stuff that I found, I'll be quite honest with you, 
a lot of the stuff that I found in doing research to answer your question came from a really super ableist place that I was really kind of cringy when I was reading it, and it made me cringe a lot, actually. It was a bunch of non-disabled people debating whether or not they would stay with the partner, and so many things I saw said that the, the able-bodied person should be able to leave whenever they want if the disabled person made them feel uncomfortable or if they had worries or concerns, they then had the right to leave. This is true. They could totally leave if they want to, but I, I, I don't think that most people, I would hope that most people who really, really cared about their spouse or their partner or, or who had a little bit of sense in 2018 would agree to stay and to, not because they had to or not because of any obligation, because they simply gave a fuck about the person that they were with. Your next question is, how do they learn to adapt? A lot of the stuff I saw was that they, was that the, the, the partners of people who become disabled ha need to lean on friends and family. They need to maybe, the couple needs to go to counseling to discuss this new reality. Um, they need to really talk about how this new reality is affecting them and what it means for the relationship. Uh, a lot of times, if a partner is, you know, become significantly disabled due to an accident or something and can't perform certain activities that can put stress on the relationship and that needs to be talked about how these new responsibilities um, could affect the relationship. I read a I read an article from couples who a couple who the partner had had a stroke and became severely, severely disabled afterwards, um, and it put a stress on their marriage and they separated for 18 months and then they rekindled their relationship after they had some time apart. Um, so I think with each person, the relationship can change and morph depending on, on the type of relationship you have. But I think that, that I think that I would hope that people can adapt to the new reality of disability because it doesn't as much as I, I often say, because my disability was something that I've had since birth, it's a part of who I am. I would hope that when somebody becomes newly disabled, it does become a part of who they are. Um, and it does become a part of who they are, but it doesn't fundamentally change their core self. Um, or maybe it does in the best way. It's a tough thing because I'm not, I've never experienced becoming disabled so I don't want to speak too broadly on this, but I, I would hope that the partner, the non-disabled partner, would have the wherewithal to talk with their disabled partner about how they're feeling, but also don't put the burden on the disabled partner to make the non-disabled partner feel better. Um, you also ask, do they secretly find a way out because they can't cope? I read a lot of articles that suggested that people do sometimes leave relationships not so secretly because they can't cope. And those articles were really hard to read. Um, really tough to see somebody who once loved somebody crumble under the, the pressures and changes of disability. And I do believe that there are pressures and changes when one person becomes newly disabled. But I think to simply walk out based on that is pretty... 
is pretty severe and pretty unnecessary in today's world. You asked me also, how does the newly disabled person deal with their situation? I, I think you would go through a period, and, and I'm not sure how if you've gone through this, but I think you would go through a period of mourning and a period of anger and grief, and you would mourn those changes, and you would be angry and upset, which is totally, totally acceptable. If, if you are going through that and you feel like you're not supposed to be angry or you're angry all the time and you're not sure why, you're trying to come to terms with this new reality. Um, again, I am not somebody who, who wants to speak too, too broadly on that because disability has always been my reality, but I have talked about my experiences getting sick with C. diff and my worries about how my body's changed and all that stuff. So in a way, I understand those feelings of mourning and that, that type of depression around your body changing. Um, as to how you other ways you deal with it, you know, there are great or there are great Facebook groups online um, run by awesome disabled people where you can talk about this stuff. I am a resource for you if you want to talk with me about how you're feeling. Um, talk to, talk, maybe go see a therapist if you need to, a personal therapist just for you to discuss what your needs are and what this new reality means for you. I think you really have to sit with yourself and see how this makes you feel and talk about how this new, this new experience of disability makes you feel. Part of me wants to be like, welcome to the club. Your handbook will be in the mail, but I don't want to make light of your situation. I want to say that disability, the disability community, whether you've become disabled or you were born disabled, our community is strong and we have each other's backs. And if you need another disabled person to talk to, we're here for you. As to how you can talk about this with your partners, I think you should just lay it out as honestly as you can and try not to don't worry about how they're feeling they need i think non-disabled partners or new partners or people when you say new partners i'm wondering if you're in non-monogamous relationships or you mean like fuck buddies if you're talking about non-monogamous relationships that are a little bit more defined i think you can sit with partners and talk about that but talk about your feelings and lay it out because i think Partners need to hear how you're feeling and you need to discuss that so you can work within those feelings. I don't want to say, I almost said work through those feelings. I don't think you'll ever work through the feelings of losing what you had before. I don't know the extent of your disability, but I don't, I don't think you ever get past becoming disabled and I don't think you should either. I think you should try to look for the the humor in disability disability can bring some really funny moments and really hilarious things come as a result of that i think you should you could look at different ways to describe yourself maybe use the term disabled if it feels right for you um and use that term around your partners and get your partners to use your preferred terminology with respect to this new disabled identity for you explain to any partner that, that this now is a part of your life and explain that it's something that you're probably currently working through and it's okay to to have moments where that ebbs and flows and it's okay to feel up and down about it. You shouldn't try to overcome it. 
you should try to sit within the, this new identity for yourself, and especially as it relates to your partnerships, and see how that makes you feel. Ultimately, Corbin, what I'm asking of you is to own your disability as best you can, and I hope for you that you reach a point where it becomes a positive, not even, I'm, I'm, I'm wary to say positive, it becomes a real part of who you are and something you take pride in at points and something you, you're not necessarily always proud of, but it's something you you're aware of and you you don't see it as something that is constantly a negative. I mean, maybe you could, you know, come up with a funny nickname for your disability or something sexy, like I call myself a bear in a chair or your number one queer cripple. Maybe using that language for yourself will help you connect more with this identity with respect to your sexuality. And it could be something you and your partners play with to introduce disability into your partnership. And lastly, Corbin, you mentioned that you've noticed that people treat you differently and your their interest in you has drastically dropped. I am so sorry that you're feeling the effects of ableism more strongly than you may have previously, and I'm sorry that people are so ableist they don't know how to manage that stuff. To, to that, I say feel those feelings, be angry about that, talk about that, and talk about that to them and say, hey, I noticed that you don't hang around me so much. I noticed that our maybe our sexual chemistry has changed. I noticed that you're no longer in, interested in me in the same way. Is it because of disability? And if they say yes, have them ex have them talk about that, whether that's uncomfortable or not. Let talk about that and talk to them about how their their how your feeling around their interest dropping in you makes you feel. Um, and I think. But I think ultimately you should feel those feelings and talk them out. And if their interest still drops, then you should look for people who are into you, into you because you're disabled or not because you're disabled, just because you're fucking awesome. Um, and I think you're awesome. And, and I hope that my ramblings today sort of gave you something to, to draw from and an option to think about in this Minnesota. Thanks, Corbin. Okay, so let's switch gears a little bit. I got a, uh, a Minnesota letter last week from somebody who wrote in for actually the last Minnesota, Minnesota 21. They wrote in again and they said, Hi Andrew, I sent you an email a month ago that you made into Minnesota 21. I wanted to remain anonymous like in that Minnesota if you decide to read this follow-up on your podcast as well. Not to worry, anonymous. I will do just that. I have shared this with my girlfriend before sending it, and I and and she is comfortable with me sharing everything I've written. This may be too long, so let me know if there's anything you want me to take out. Here's my letter. Right to the point. I like that anonymous. Thank you. They say I am an autistic, bisexual, non-binary person who was assigned female at birth. My pronouns are they/them. I started dating Teresa, asterisk, not her real name, a trans woman who had started a, a trans support group in my city last December. For this letter, I thought I would write about the first time Teresa and I had sex 
as well as mention a few other times that were especially memorable and hot. That's awesome. I love hot sex stories, and we've not had a hot sex minisode for a while, so thank you. For the first month in our relationship, we we mostly held hands, cuddled, and kissed. Okay. Anonymous, that's totally my jam, and if that's all me and someone did, I'd be, like, over the moon all about it. So, I mean, foreplay for me is super. I'm so down for it. After that was the first time either of us had sex with anyone. We were in my apartment and we had just finished watching a movie. We started making out, which then led to touching and to touching each other and our shirts and pants coming off. Okay, sidebar anonymous. I you, I can't even tell you how many times I've invited a boy over to my accessible apartment and been like, "Let's watch a movie or let's watch a Netflix show." And 30 seconds in, been like, "So, can I put my hand down your pants?" So I, I feel you, I feel you there, Anonymous, for sure. They say, I couldn't believe this was happening. It felt really great, and we kept checking in with each other as things went on. I, I think the check-in is amazing, and I think we that everybody should do more check-ins with their lovers. That's awesome. I got on top of her, and we were grinding against each other in our underwear. The feeling of our bare chests against each other was amazing. We kept kissing and grinding like that until Teresa came. <coughs> wow. Wow. That story literally, as you heard, just there, took my crippled breath away. Wow. All of this was a new experience for both of us. It took me a while. It took a while for me to have an orgasm when we were together. The first time she got out a dental down she got out a dental dam and went down on me was And went down on me was the first time I came. The first time Teresa and I went to a sex shop together, we bought a purple dildo, lube, condoms, and a harness for me to wear the dildo. We tried it out when we went back to her place. She helped me step into the harness and fasten the dildo. I don't like the feeling of lube in my hands, but the Kleenex, but having Kleenex nearby helped. The first time we had sex, using a dildo was very awkward, but still fun. We have since bought another another dildo, a longer red one. The purple one has more girth. I like girth. I would love girth. As well as a pair of handcuffs, a blindfold, as well as a packer for myself. Wow, you both went all out. That's that's you like you really kind of leaned into this thing. That's that's great. Um, back in April, we had a conversation about her calling me by my masculine name during sex instead of my birth name, which is more feminine sounding. She started using the name Aiden, a name I picked, and that coupled with using a dildo or packer and sometimes keeping my shirt on helped with dysphoria. We used that name to refer to me during sex for a few months, and then I thought about going back to using my birth name. A big part of that was the realization that she sees me as I am, which was amazing was an amazing feeling I'm still getting used to. I'm out to some people as non-binary, but I've only mentioned the demi-boy label to other trans people. She doesn't see me as a woman. I'm not a man either, but I definitely feel more on the masculine side, which is why I feel the label of demi-boy works for me. More recently, Teresa and I have experimented with rimming using a dental dam. It was something that both of us had wanted to try. 
She really enjoyed herself. After she ripped me, she asked if she could also try fingering me afterwards. I have no interest in frontal penetration, but I wanted to try anal play. That's hot. Good for you, Anonymous. The feeling of lube took some getting used to, but she went slowly while using a glove on her hand. I really liked being rimmed and was surprised at how much I enjoyed being fingered. This is something that we probably will explore more in the future. We've also been curious about more ex about looking into puppy play. I don't know if it's an autism thing or not, but I feel that me being queer, non-binary, and autistic, I feel much more accepting in general of different sexual practices and kinks, as well as open to different things personally than a lot of the straight cis people I know. There are no other artistic people that I know of in my social circle, including friends and family, and most, most, and most of the people I, I am around the most are the straight and cis as far as I know, not kinky. I'm really glad I found Teresa's trans support group last year because sometimes not being out as non-binary to many people and being around so much heteronormativity and cis-normativity can be exhausting and I'm happy I found people who get me. Teresa and I have gotten far better at communicating our needs, sorry, communicating our desires with, with each other. We figured out a safe word together and learned things we don't like. We've learned a lot about ourselves. I tend to be more dominant sexually, and she tends to be more submissive sexually, but I've become more interested in trying out a more submissive role sometimes during sex. I find that I enjoy being called sir sometimes if I'm in a dominant role, and her saying good boy to me is a turn on if I'm in a submissive role. I'm so happy that I met Teresa and that I found someone who I love and who loves me and sees me for who I am. Thank you so much for this, Anonymous, and for sharing your stories. I think when disabled people find someone that's into them as a disabled person, whether we're talking about autism, whether we're talking about cerebral palsy, whether we're talking about uh, an acquired disability, when you find someone who thinks you're hot because you're hot, as a disabled person, that does a lot for us, and that's that can be really exciting, but also really scary because you're like, how this person really, really likes me for me. How the fuck do I manage all that? So that story was super hot and I'm super glad that you and Teresa um, could explore all that stuff together. I, as a disabled person, as you've heard me say in episode 79, I love puppy play and I think puppy play is really awesome for me as a disabled person to to try something else out and I, I love it so much and I, I also love I love it when someone calls me a good boy as a disabled man when I'm in a submissive role when an able-bodied person and this could be super ableist I'm not sure but when an able-bodied person calls me a good boy in it when I'm in a submissive role it gives me like emotional boners for ages and ages and that could be because of disability I'm not sure um, but I really, really appreciate this story, and thank you so much for sharing. And that's the Minnesota. It's a little morsel before the full show comes out on Friday, and I'm excited to announce that this is uh, this Friday coming out will be the 100th full-length episode of Disability After Dark. Holy fucking fuckballs. 
we made it to 100 episodes, and that's amazing. So, to commemorate episode 100, you're going to get an awesome interview with somebody who was on the show previously, my good friend Amin Lakani. He was in episode 54, and he came back to, to have a whole other conversation about disability, sexuality, dating, and depression. He had more that he wanted to say, so I... He said, can I come on again? And I was like, of course you can. I'm so excited for you to hear this whole new episode for episode 100. And I have a whole bunch of other ideas for the next 100 episodes of this program. But if you liked this Minnesota, and these are literally my favorite things of this show, the Minnesotas. If you liked the Minnesotas and you want to submit them to your own, go into your... Go into... Go into your thought process, go into your email box, and email me at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com and tell me a story, write me a letter, tell me anything you want to say about disability. But I'd like to do it more predominantly around sex stuff, so I'm going to throw out some suggestions here. I'm going to throw out like two or three suggestions right now. I'd like for you to send me stories about when you were a teenager. When you were a disabled teenager, something that happened to you. Just just give me your... We don't hear a lot about... We don't hear a lot of disabled history. And I want to hear your disabled history. As a teenager, as a kid, tell me those stories. Tell me your stories as a disabled person in health class. Tell me your stories of your worst time having sex as a disabled person. Those are some suggestions. And you can send all those to, and please, please, flood the inbox, because I've said it a million times in this episode alone, I love the Minnesotas. So send ideas to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com, and we'll see you Friday for our 100th episode. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota. Talk to you soon. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations, with music by Chris Ujiuchi. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright, Crippled Content Creations, 2018.